Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, ICA Cybertalks. And today it would be in English. I ask my uh, guest to do that in English because I believe that the subject is very important and can help a lot around the world dealing with the OT that is uh, the main issue of uh, this uh, podcast. So I'm glad to have uh, Rafael Maman, also known as Rafi. I hope that I can call you Rafi. Yeah, that's too far. Uh, VPOT and security at uh, Signia. Hello, Rafi. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. I appreciate that. And uh, I would add also a dear friend. So, um, we have uh, our way of starting, and usually it's by asking the bio of our guest. So, please give us a bit about your history, about what you are doing. Okay. <laughs> um, so, like you already said in the introduction, I am uh, Vice President for OT, OT Security at Signia. Um, I'm sort of sure that uh, some of your uh, audience would go something like Signy what? And so I want to tell you guys that you are not alone. Signy uh, it, is a small company, but already with a very impressive uh, global footprint. Today we have offices in uh, Tel Aviv, uh, New York, London, Singapore, um, Mexico City, and uh, recently also in uh, Sydney in Australia. Um, the company uh, that um, th there was uh, an uh, article that uh, named it uh, the, the Delta Force of Cybersecurity by, by the Forbes magazine <laughs> and for a reason because uh, it has a very low uh, public uh, footprint and was growing mainly by recommendation so those that didn't know you're not alone uh, we'll talk later about what, uh, what OT uh, security vice president is doing Um, so I'll leave that for later. Uh, before joining Signia some uh, nine months ago now, I was uh, the uh, leader of OT security in the global cyber impact center of PricewaterhouseCoopers and the OT security leader of PwC EMEA, uh, practically uh, setting up this uh, practice from scratch. Uh, the first 25 years of my career, which I spent outside of Israel, my, my own country, Uh, was mostly with Shell, the oil and gas uh, multinational. Uh, it started uh, uh, in advanced process control in the company's uh, R&D center in uh, uh, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and then uh, many years implemented advanced uh, process control innovations in uh, a lot of the company's refineries, uh, worked in uh, Singapore, in Europe, of course, um, New Zealand, South Africa, United States. So I had uh, my bit of uh, globetrotting. Um, then shifted my focus to uh, what was then call, called uh, secure um, digital supply chain management and was uh, Shell's principal in this area. Um, so that's for Shell. In between, I had a stint uh, being the CEO of a boutique uh, consulting company that focused on uh, the uh, energy sector, critical infrastructures, 
and a very interesting uh, period with uh, the healthcare um, hospitals in particular. Very nice and uh, very impressive, uh, especially if you're talking about uh, in Israeli eyes, um, I don't know how, but we managed to get to all those positions <laughs> worldwide. Um, It's called chutzpah. Chutzpah, yeah. <laughs> totally agree with you. So, as you said, you are many, many years with uh, the ICS and OT, uh, cyber industry, and in, with OT at uh, all. What are the significant changes that are taking place in the, over the years? It's a good question, Nachshon. Um, I think the advantage of uh, spending one's entire career in operational technology, you actually get a chance to look at uh, big transformation uh, processes from a bird's view. So um, I'll, I'll use that uh, almost in effect uh, reviewing my, my, my own career. And, uh, look at the threat landscape. This is what basically changed. Um, look at the OT threat landscape over the last 40 years. If we start with the first ever recorded attack on an ICS environment, um, that on the Trans-Siberian Natural Gas Pipeline, widely attributed to the CIA. By, by the way, the attack itself was successful. The pipeline was fractured and then exploded. Mm -hmm. This was in uh, 1982. And in uh, the period that followed, uh, a long period, but mainly after 1995, uh, that was after Microsoft uh, released as freebie the TCP IP stack as part of Windows and ushered in everything cyber, Uh, if you look at those years, uh, the threat landscape was dominated almost entirely by individuals. In many cases, uh, insiders, and in many cases, with direct access to the ICS and the process control environment. Um, just to position you in time, there were many, but uh, one that many remember is an Australian guy that was denied a job with a water treatment facility um, And as a result, decided to take revenge and attack that facility no less than 40 times, Sp <laughs> spilling wastewater to the environment, causing an environmental damage. And there were more of those. But that, that was the threat landscape. I'll get to what that means uh, in a bit. Uh, that changed pretty much overnight. Um, in mid-2010, uh, with the discovery of Stuxnet and then its siblings, uh, Flame and uh, Duku and the rest, And we woke up to a different world, uh, a world in which the threat landscape was now dominated by nation states, uh, putting large budgets, uh, highly qualified uh, the teams to develop uh, what I call uh, uh, cyber weapons. It's nothing less than that. Yeah, of course. And uh, for a period of about 10 years, this is what we knew. This is what we saw. Big, uh, big attacks, um, whether it's uh, Unit 74455 of the GRU in Russia, Unit 32 in, uh, of, of the NSA in the, in, in the US, or, or my own unit, uh, 8200 here in Israel, of course. What would you would call the cyber super nations. And they were developing um, uh, highly sophisticated uh, weapons that were deployed also successfully in Iran or in uh, Ukraine or in Saudi Arabia, even in Germany. And we responded to that threat landscape. 
Now, uh, the point is that uh, also that changed a few years back. And it's not that we don't see anymore the, the individual hackers uh, or insiders. Uh, in, in Spain, just last, last year, two employees of a nuclear facility uh, disabled the national uh, radiation alert, uh, alert system. So that's still there. And we still see some activity of nation states, not as before, but we see that. Uh, Pipe Dream last year is a very good example. Skimmerish uh, Israel, Iran is going on all the time. But if you look at the threat landscape today, then to a very large extent, it's dominated by a different kind of threat. And this is what uh, I want to call uh, industrial grades uh, ransomware. Attacks on the IT that put a threat, the OT, if only for the reason that uh, executives simply don't know whether there has been a cascading event from the IT into the OT. And because they don't know, in many cases, they pay ransom. In many cases, they are forced to halt operations. And uh, if you ask me, the average listener to the podcast right now, this is what keeps him or her awake at night. Uh, it, again, it's less so the, the national threat. There is some residual threat coming from the war in Ukraine, of course, but it's not even close to what we expected. Uh, and and, and uh, the, the thing that puts the industrial enterprise at risk, it is this new uh, threat landscape. So to summarize, it is this change, the shifting, uh, transforming threat landscape, bringing us to where we are today. My point is that uh, many of us in the community haven't realized that and we are still stuck somewhere in the past. Yeah, more than that, I believe that today even nations would prefer using cybercrime groups. Um, cybercrime groups today have the same capabilities yes. that nations have. It's no more... To a, to a large extent, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Signia is a well-known IR uh, PT company, and IR and PT company. Um, I have the honor that my son is working over there. Should be careful, especially because your son is working there. <laughs> uh, PT, I, I, well, um, we are not doing the one of the... Well, it's the not PT, it's red teaming. A lot of our listeners don't really understand the difference between red teaming and PT. And I would be glad if you can uh, talk about that a bit uh, uh, longer. But Signia is working, for my best knowledge, with the top 100 of the 500 fortune. It's a very boutique company very trained company and uh, I remember when uh, my son started over there he was always kidding about the idea that the guys are always with the suitcase in the <laughs> office because they don't have a clue when they are going to fly and where especially the incident response guy yeah of course so what is your actual role insignia because OT is something new over there <laughs> Again, good question. I'll, uh, I'll explain. I'll explain what my role is. But, um, but maybe in order to explain what a VP OT security is doing in a company like Signia, uh, let me start, pick, pick up the thread we just built with the reshaping threat landscape and try and see what did we as the OT security uh, ecosystem did in response to those transformations. And that will by itself define what I'm doing today. So 
if you look at the first, uh, what I call uh, transformation, in which attackers had a direct access insider into your ICS and OT, what can you do if somebody can, you know, get directly to, to your uh, process control environment? You can't do much. Pretty much all you can do is to work on, uh, on, on, on hardening your PLCs, improving their security, improving protocols. And that is pretty much what we did. Now, uh, we all in the community like to complain a lot about the vendors, but those vendors did excellent work in those years uh, in, in exactly that, in, in, in uh, looking at PLCs, looking at protocols. You know, the switch we now take for granted on, uh, on every controller, on most of the controllers, uh, shifting from run to program to test mode, which I believe is a, a great innovation, putting a physical stop to attacks, It was invented in this period as a response to that threat landscape. Uh, adding a TCP IP layer to Modbus, now taken for granted, is another result of, of this effort. So a lot of work was done at the lower end. Then, like I said, we woke up overnight to a different world. Highly sophisticated threat actors, uh, nation states, doing big uh, cyber weapon type uh, um, attacks. What did we do? Well, frankly, what we first did is we panicked. I don't know if you remember. We, we, we literally panicked and, uh, and not for nothing. I mean, suddenly we faced something. We didn't know what to do with it. Uh, after we uh, finished panicking, I think that the next thing we did is we went all the way to the extreme. We picked up uh, a very simplistic model, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, called the Yeah, Pilgrim of course. Model. Uh, and implemented almost literally because we discovered that uh, something amazing, uh, this Purdue model actually uh, splits the enterprise in two, uh, two areas, two geographical areas. If you look down in level zero to three, it's uh, in the control rooms at the manufacturing floor. And then levels four, we later added five, uh, is back office, main, uh, main offices, sometimes in different geographic locations altogether. And so... Uh, the, the immediate interpretation was to split the enterprise, to disconnect the OT, and we even had a beautiful word for that. We air-gapped our OT and ICS, or at least we thought we are air-gapping our OT and ICS. And most of the activity in those two years, you know, there were people did numerous projects, but at the core, it was network separation and segregation and, and, and uh, creating a, a perimeter security, isolating the, the OT. Now, what's the point? The point is that now the threat landscape changed. And because the industrial enterprise cannot stop digital transformation, then more and more demand came on us, the OT security professional, to allow some sort of digital transformation, a minimal sort of digital transformation. So, in other words, communication between level three and level four. And so we build up more and more and more complexity on top of our um, um, OT security and ICS security. Uh, and, and, you know, in cyber, there is a very simple rule. The more complexity you add, it's uh, the, the, the better for, for the attacker. Yeah, of course. The, the attack surface expands, deepens, and, and that's exactly what, uh, what happened. And now we're faced with a new transformation. The, 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 the threat vectors are coming from the IT, And that uh, connectivity between them that we could not prevent, we could not air gap, is now the main source of headache because we don't know anymore whether there has been a cascading effect into the OT or not. And so in the face of that new threat landscape, 
There is no other way to protect the industrial enterprise. You got to look at it holistically. Of course, IT and OT as one thing. You cannot live in islands anymore. This is a privilege of the past. And so, what does an OVP OT security does in Signia? I am the man with a hammer. <laughs> literally, I almost literally, not literally. I walk with a big hammer and I break down walls. I break down walls between uh, IT and OT across Signia's service offering. Now, uh, you know, look at incident response. Um, today in Signia, we do incident response across the board, uh, IT and OT as one team. That may sound trivial to some laymen, but no, it's no. All, all but. Oh, no. All but. Uh, if, if you look at uh, famous events, even Colonial Pipeline, everybody talks about it. Uh, how many know that Colonial ended up hiring two IR companies and two very good IR companies? They hired Mendiant, they're competitors, but they're still very good. Mendiant to deal with the IT and Dragos to deal with the OT. And, and you know, I am 100% sure that each one of those two did an excellent job in its own domain. But the CEO... Of, of, of Colonial, what he wanted is to know whether there has been a pivot from IT to OT. So that doesn't cut it anymore. You, if you want your uh, incident responder of choice to look across the enterprise. So that's what we did. We do that, we spoke about Red Team. And I mentioned different than penetration test. Red Team is, yeah. a, is a goal-driven uh, exercise, more extensive. It goes deeper. Uh, you identify what are the crown jewels you need to attack and you go and attack them in any way you, you, you want. It's not a mapping of vulnerabilities or anything like that. So even our red team today doesn't stop at the DMZ. I mean, why would it? Would the attacker stop at the DMZ? No. So we continue to. We do it in a very controlled way. We do it by adding operators to our red team. So we take somebody from the client side out of operations for a couple of weeks. He joins the red team. And they, they do it together, and guess what? It, we, are not, we haven't invented it. If you look at the way uh, uh, Sandworm uh, 74455 in, uh, in Russia is working, it's the same thing. They have operators on the attack team. So we do the same, and we do it again in a controlled way with a very clear decision-making, rules of engagement, uh, but we don't stop at the IDMZ. And you can go on and on. We do a, a posture assessment across the enterprise. We even do monitoring and detection and response uh, in our newly uh, uh, launched service, MXDR, across the enterprise. I mean, uh, uh, you know, this, again, may sound trivial, but it's not. If you look at all the MDR solutions, they're all IT-based endpoint solutions. Right. Now, we are not an endpoint solution. Our technology called Velocity started from IR and, and forensics uh, tool. And so we are not limited. And so we deploy our agents um, deep into the OT. And then we connect to uh, professional IDS uh, uh, technologies to complete and, and give a, a full picture to our analysts. All in all, that's what I'm doing. I'm breaking walls. And so far, we have broken all the walls with Insignia. And now I can really say that we provide a consulting and incident response across the enterprise, IT and OT. Sounds great because... <laughs> uh, sounds difficult, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, wh one of the things that I'm telling all the time, my customers, and it was good that you mentioned uh, that... Yeah, about the PT. <laughs> As I see it, when you're doing red teaming, 
the meaning is that you are inside and you have control about what you are doing. You're not just sending tools. Absolutely. And in OT, it's critical because to get some tool that is doing some activity and is sending some script to the PLC and the PLC is doing a deny and shutdown, you can stop the full factory for Of that. course. Which is not the meaning. The meaning is more to do what is happening, but not that. But I have another question, which is very interesting for me. Before, by, by the way, bef- yeah. before we go away yeah. from that point, uh, uh, Sam and, and those Sam are actually uh, uh, leading uh, and, and, and the more uh, um, trailblazing in, in the industry prefer to do a sort of a combination. You do a hands-on red team all the way to the industrial DMZ. And from there, you uh, continue with what I would best call research. You, you research potential vectors. You analyze those vectors together with the, uh, the, the client's uh, people, including operational people. And together, you identify potential risks. You, you don't execute them. And that, by the way, yeah. is an approach that uh, look at oil and gas companies. They would prefer to do that. Uh, despite all the safety measures you put on a, a modern red, red team. I mean, to the best of our ability, such an event you describe cannot happen following our own methodology. But, you know, uh, mistakes can happen. And if you want to prevent yeah, them, them human. down to zero, then uh, doing a, a, a semi-hands-on, semi-research uh, uh, could be the way to go. But to leave the OT out of scope is something I would vote against any day because this is not what your attackers are, are going to do. And so you really need to, I mean, this thing is a philosophical thing in Signia. We, we bake the, the attacker's mindset into everything we are doing. You know, um, I'm a great believer in uh, uh, training and education. And so if you look at executive training, which I, I think is one of the most important things to go and do today, the, the people are the key. If there is tomorrow an, an event that hits your enterprise and you are caught unprepared, it is going to be those ex- executives that will be got, uh, caught exposed. They'll need to make decisions. What do I do next? And for that, they need to train. And, and, and this training, everybody is doing, but doing in a very limited way. They, you know, there, there, there is a, 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 a boardroom exercises, uh, war games for, for uh, um, ransom attacks all over. But is that the point? I, I just told you, you know, I, I really need to push mm-hmm. that point further. I told you about the colonial, but around colonial, within a space of two months, there were five uh, big attacks uh, that happened globally, mostly, mostly in the US, but not only. One was a Brazilian company. And if you look at those five, you'll see something interesting. Four of the five ended up paying ransom and not a penny. They paid anything from five to, to, to $13 million, and we don't know the maximum, but we believe that's the range. And all those four that paid didn't know whether there the, the, the has been a pivot from the IT to the OT. So the, the question in front of the executive was very simple. What do I do now? Should I shut down my factory and lose whatever you, you say now? If you know, it, None of them was a refinery, but... Uh, you know, close to my heart, a refinery can lose $10, 20000000 million for, for a day of uh, halting operations. 
And against that, an possibility to buy an asset, and I'm quoting here one of those executives that said, I can for $5 million buy an asset, and that asset can allow me to, uh, you know, continue my operations. And for not a second, I'm recommending to do that. I'm just highlighting the pressure under which those executives are. And, and if they don't know, then they have, a, uh, they have a problem. One of the five didn't pay. And that one was the one that knew for sure that there has no, been no uh, cascading effect from IT to OT. I think it speaks volumes, what I'm now telling you. And so these executives find themselves for the first time in their, in their life in a decision-making process. They are very good in decision-making, but not in this process. And they need to start making decisions, so you better prepare them. Prepare them for the real world. The real world is that they will have to deal with OT, if only to, to, to answer that question. Has it gone to the OT, yes or no? You know, many of you and my friends would say that those uh, uh, ransomware attacks on IT that threaten the OT are not OT attacks. I hear that all the time. Yeah. And, and I beg to differ, Sean. It's OT attacks par excellence. Look, we do incident response for living, and when, when our teams are coming to, to an industrial company, the first two questions they get is, has the OT been breached? One. Two. What should I do? Should I halt operation? Yes or no? And these two questions are the defining questions of an OT event. So nobody can tell me that those are not OT events. They are. And so even in training, we now expand it across the enterprise. The IT, the OT, enterprise-wide training, uh, war games, uh, purple team exercises, they don't stop anywhere. Very good. Um, and, and I really think that... Uh Today, in our world, it can happen that it would be an attack that would be an OT attack. Could happen, yes. Which is, okay, but probably it would be easier to the attacker to gain access through the IT. Yes. And... Not all the attacks are about data. There are attacks that are especially about shutting down the factory. It's about security. So And safety. And safety. Yeah. Of course. I think it's a leverage. Um, the, the reason that the industrial uh, sector has been the most attack sector for now two or three years running uh, it's just that, uh, that they realize that, that you know, those uh, what we call uh, cyber criminals are organizations and they do their own intelligence and they know their, their playing field and they know that the pressure on the industrial CEO is far higher than on, uh, and I'm not saying anything about, you know, uh, I was about to say insurance company uh, CEO, it's not good. It's not good when your client's uh, data is being exfiltrated and uh, if, if there is a risk of exposing uh, PII, all that is not good. But all that pales by comparison to your core uh, money-generating machine, and that's your OT. And if that is at risk, then uh, it's a different type of decision-making. Yeah. And they know that. And because they know that, they target industrial enterprise. So sure, on the way, they, they, they exfiltrate data, they do a second tier and a third tier um, encryption. They do whatever needs to be done, and sometimes they leverage that as a second and third uh, wave in, in their attack. But their hope is that they'll get the money before that. 
Yeah. And I would expose a little secret over here. I'm chasing you quite a while <laughs> to do this podcast. First, you are more on the plane than at home. <laughs> But um, you told me all the time, Nachshon, wait, Nachshon, wait, Nachshon, wait, until the moment that uh, your article was going out. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the future of OT security. And I was reading this article many times. Today I read it twice because I wanted to be more uh, prepared. Already a good reason to come here. Yeah. Wow, you made my day. <laughs> And just, just to be clear, it's an article of, uh, what, 20 pages? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And I, I would put the, the, the link to the article. Uh, it would be in uh, the podcast, uh, podcast description because it, it, it's... Fair and straight, and I believe that it's very important to read because even I was very surprised about some of the things that was uh, were written over there. So let's start with uh, let's say highlights of of the article. Um, okay, highlights is a big word, but I'll try and whatever see. you want. Um, let, let, let me run through the main uh, messages there. So the, the article is uh, presumptuously uh, titled The Future of OT Security, and I'm not uh, taking a distance from such a big title because it is about the future of OT Security. And uh, I, I spent quite a, 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 quite a length in, in the beginning of the article to explain why we are the point of change. And uh, let, let me share uh, a little bit of that. It, it has to Please, do with, with take your time. It's okay. And, and it has to do with a lot of the things we already discussed, the, the, the changing of the threat landscape, what did we do? Uh, but specifically, it has to do with what did we do when we were faced with uh, the, the massive uh, post uh, uh, Stuxnet world. And I said already that what we did is that we adopted the model. And there was a reason for that. The, the reason is that uh, on both sides of uh, the equation, um, and that is that the side of consultants that I'm coming from and of tech entrepreneurs that uh, went on to build a solution to, to address it, um, both sides had a problem. The people that came to do that uh, when OT security was born in earnest It's very difficult to pinpoint the time. You know, I keep on talking about Stuxnet, but to be very honest for myself, the, the coin dropped uh, three years before that. And that was with uh, when CNN aired in September 2007, uh, aired uh, uh, footage of uh, Project Aurora of the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. Don't know how many remember that. But that uh, project, you saw scientists in broad daylight, broad day daylight um, uh, attacking a, a, a 2.25 megawatt generator and um, uh, dismantling it with a, with, with a mouse and a keyboard. And so it was for many an eye-opener. So for, it was a move from, from, uh, from the drawing board to reality. And then Stuxnet uh, did that even further and then, uh, and then later. Uh, and so people jumped into the fray 
consultants and tech entrepreneurs, and those two camps uh, brought in people that were very comfortable with what we call information security or IT security, either consulting to banks and the likes or uh, uh, or building sol- software solutions to 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 uh, contain it, but they were an IT they were IT people. Uh, again, nothing wrong meant that they came from this world, both both of them, and they needed some framework, framework to underpin their 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 concepts so that they can stand in front of uh, a client uh, or in front of a, a venture capital investor and knowledgeably talk about the space, uh, some theory, and then. You know, a godsend, we had a moment of serendipity, nothing really, <laughs> and discovered in, 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 in the ocean of academic obscurity, uh, this model developed uh, by the Purdue University in West Lafayette, Virginia, um, at that point already 15 years earlier, and not for that purpose at all. It was a high-level uh, reference enterprise, a reference uh, framework for the industrial enterprise. Dividing the enterprise for those that don't know, but I'm sure that everybody listening in now knows, to two very simplistic five layers, uh, where you start from the control layer, then uh, the, 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 the PLC layer and SCADA, then, you know, going up uh, the hierarchy. And they said, that's great. We have a model. It looks good. It has a scientific background behind it. You know, what's more than the... It makes sense. It makes sense. It, and, and it's simple. It's simple. It's so simple that I can put any young consultant in front of a client and he can come across as an expert in the field. And indeed, I, I'm sure you remember, within no time, anywhere between slide 3 and 10 of any presentation in the world, you saw the Purdue model coming up. Of course. So then there was a process of adjusting it because the model uh, was invented uh, when I started my, my, my own career in, uh, you know, in 1992, and it was old. And so it was adjusted. First thing added was uh, uh, IDMZ at, at the militarized zone. The concept then was bold from the IT world. Uh, the I is for industrial, and that's a good thing. So the network separation um, was an excellent move, and that was added through by implementing a DMZ. Second thing that we had to add is the internet. You know, in 1992, there was no internet. So also in the original Purdue model, there was no internet, no internet applications, no enterprise uh, internet applications. So that was added as layer five. Why? Because it's easy. You know, you build zero, one, two, three, five. But that's the key of the problem. By putting it at level five, we started what I, I call straightforward our original scene. And let, let me explain. Because you get now a model, nice, with DMZ, with layer five on top of it, and you're going to use it. So the next thing we did is we developed the Purdue Bible. Again, my words. Consultants went first and, and came with the first command, commandment, um, which was, uh, thou shalt shall never transfer data between uh, level uh, four and level three. And then went on, and if, if, if that was not enough, and said, you know, commandment number two, thou shalt never use the internet on the manufacturing floor. Okay. The uh, tech entrepreneurs at the other side look at us and say, hey, all our friends here are developing commandments for the Purdue model. We should follow. So we should, too, operate only in level 0 to 3. And so they added their own commandment. Thou shalt only operate on-prem. Then they looked and said, hey, but if we are limited to work only on-prem, what the heck can we do? Not a lot. 
and came their fourth commandment, thou shalt only develop, develop intrusion detection systems. <laughs> and then later they saw that it's not so trivial to do intrusion detection in an OT environment, so they added to that and asset discovery, and indeed asset discovery, important by its own right, became the most uh, selling component of IDS uh, providers until today. So with those four strict uh, rules or commandments in the Bible, we um, made it very difficult for the industrial enterprise. And, uh, and, and why I call that the original scene is that when all that was brought to practice, we already knew that cloud is the king in the making. We already had industrial IoT and IoT proliferating at exponential rates. We knew it's never going to hold water. And by placing the internet at layer five and blocking communication uh, up and down, and later we allowed some communication up with the unidirectional diodes and other tricks, um, but in principle we wanted to block communication, um, we made the industrial enterprise jump through hoops if they wanted to implement any digital transformation process. Now, in, uh, in that uh, blog post uh, that, that I po posted, uh, I took as one example something that was key to the um, digital transformation of the, the at least the process industry, and uh, that was uh, changing the orientation of managing supply chains. Um, you know, we managed our supply chain from the Industrial Revolution and until the early mid-90s in what uh, can best be called a supply-driven uh, supply chain. You manufacture as much as you can, as efficient as you can, put it in stock, use sales and marketing to sell it. Why? Because we couldn't do any better with the technology that we had available. But then technology became available, both computing and communication, and we could do something remarkable to turn this on its head and drive our supply chains from the demand side. Respond to demand signals all the way down to changing what you are producing and even what raw materials you, you are purchasing, which is a revolution. So in, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, big companies invested tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in transforming their supply chain to be responsive to uh, demand signals. And, and, and so uh, benefits coming out of it. You know, uh, the best example is Dell, of course. Yeah, Implementing of course. a zero uh, so inventory. It's yeah. learned all, all over the world in universities. Absolutely. Zero inventory is the classical de demand-driven supply chain, and a whole lot of new processes came in, ERPs, uh, uh, enterprise uh, execution uh, um, uh, systems, uh, demand fulfillment, demand forecasting, demand management. All that was huge investment. And then came we. I mean, then came... Taxnet and all the rest, and we, and this network separation, and we told them that's not possible, guy. You cannot transfer data between three and four, because at the core of all those transformations is communication between levels three and four. So we put it on hold. We didn't stop it, but we put it on hold, and we delayed it, and, we, uh, and, and I truly believe that we introduced uh, a delay of years in uh, innovation in the industrial enterprise, the whole world is digitally, digitally transforming itself, and they are behind. They do a lot, but not enough. And, and a lot of that is because of uh, cyber securing the, the, the OT assets. Uh, and, uh, and so here comes the second part of uh, what I wrote about, and that is that uh, you don't become an executive in ExxonMobil or in Shell to keep on hearing this is impossible for too long. 
at some point, you're going to come, get the guys around the table, tell them, listen, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put industrial IoT. We're going to put internet on the manufacturing floor. And you, you just tell me how to do it securely. That's your job. And so as a result of that, we started building more and more and more complexities around it to facilitate some of it. And again, the industrial enterprise, and I'm focusing uh, in my article about the, the process industry, which is the core of the industrial enterprise, they, they can't wait for, for us and they can't work with this complexity, so they take their own initiatives. And uh, um, the one that I'm focusing in particular, there are a couple, uh, but one that is, in my opinion, by far leading is re-architecting uh, and uh, the, 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 uh, what we call industrial control systems, the process control environment from the ground up, changing it. Um, uh, changing it uh, such that uh, you, you replace, and I know I'm saying big words uh, for <laughs> some, replace PLCs with edge devices. And if you don't want to replace, and in our industry it's going to take ages before we replace. Of course. You wrap them with uh, with with those uh, edge devices. Uh, the edge devices communicate with the central bus, uh, and on that bus anything can communicate as long as it complies with the standard. So the cloud can communicate, IoTs can communicate. There is a central um, uh, processing unit that takes all this data and, and and processes it. And so suddenly you turn OT into IT in terms of agility. I have a poster in my room <laughs> that shows the truck running in in in, uh, uh, in in the mud and it says OT security and then you see Formula One uh, uh, Max and Checo driving for 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 uh, um, um, in one of the the, the F1 uh, races for Red Bull and this is IT security so I want to bring Max and Checo um, to 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 OT security and it's not me so the whole initiative is not about security it's about re-engineering the, the, the industrial control systems and the control layer, but it has a very strong security element. When this happens, OT security will be redefined and, and, and will never be again the same as, as it is today because we will we, we need to work differently. We'll need to work similar to the way we work in... A lot of times we, we forget that the main initiative of the companies is to earn money. Of course. And for earning money, you need to go across the organization and do a lot of optimization. Now, there are times that it's prosperity, so it's going a bit down. But if we are coming to those days, yes. for every nickel, you know, yes. every cent, everybody yes. no doubt. is struggling. And a lot of times, and, and I'm totally with you, the idea that we as cyber experts are saying, no way, it, it's not the way it should be. I agree. The idea is, tell me what you need. And I would find the solution. Yeah. By the way, that uh, uh, new approach, I, I didn't mention, but it's a result of an effort initiated by ExxonMobil already six years ago called the OPAF, the Open Process Automation Forum. And their standard is called the Open Process Automation Standard, complies with the 62443. And so it is secure. 
the best we can have today. I mean, always you can do better. And it has all the security uh, built in. Um, True, not everybody likes that uh, future. I I agree. But it is the future. So, your article was uh, described... uh in some manners, as very pro- provocative. That's exactly the point, yes. Um, because what we are saying is very simple. Guys, we went to the easy way. We went to the Purdue model. It, would be, it was easy for everybody to gain the expertise and to go into the game. Um, and if you would go with uh, the uh, OPAF. It would be much harder because it's harder to explain to a CEO or CFO. I'll I'll, I'll address this provocativity you are talking about in in three layers. I'll try to do it quickly because we don't have all day. We have all day. Um, So first, uh, don't underestimate these forms. I mean, I've been looking after OPA for six years. Uh, but by now, it's an organization, it's a forum that includes 600 companies and pretty much any company in the world that counts, everyone, from all the oil and gas majors to all the chemical companies, all the man- big manufacturers, uh, all the IT companies, whether it's Microsoft, Amazon, uh, IBM, everybody, all the consulting companies, uh, regulatory and standard organizations, they are all members and active members. So it has a volume. Uh, and, and, and and when uh, and you look at the, the names there, they carry a lot of weight in the industry. That's one. Second, uh, in the same context, ExxonMobil is putting their money where their mouth is. So they don't only talk. They actually uh, initiated last year a project to convert uh, one of the refineries in the West Coast in the U.S., Uh, to be entirely OPAS compliant. And that's a big thing. You talk thousands of uh, IOs. And uh, and so um, if this is successful, and it will be, by the way, Yokogawa was selected as the integrator, um, then others will follow. So that one. Second, when you say provocative, uh, I, I dare challenge it and say that it's, uh, um, well, It, it's not the core of our community. And the reason I, I allow myself to say that is that I gave a talk on the topic in the recent S4 in Miami a couple of months ago. And to get a speaking position in S4 is already a recognition. Yeah, a it's big a big, big, very big honor. I, I agree. Uh, and, and, and to get a talk on the topic called the future of authority security is almost unheard of because the whole conference is about the today and the now and, and, and what we do tomorrow. And still, I got that slot. And the thing that made me uh, suddenly, uh, you know, uh, step back and look at it was that uh, and, um, was that this talk that I gave was uh, got uh, awarded the, the, the most attended session. And now this has nothing to do with me. And the reason I'm saying that is that all those, the hundreds that attended the session and, and, and stood at the back at their doors, they didn't know what I'm going to talk about, right? They knew the title and a short summary, and it, they didn't know me. So it's not me. It's, it's the topic. And I'm saying that most of our community really desperately wants to know what's next and really know that we cannot go on like that. We need to change. And if there is a talk in the, in the gold-plated conference of OT security, 1,200 people uh, in Miami that talks about the future, they come en masse and, and, and they listen and they, they feedback. So that, that's the core of our community. Now, having said all that, 
Yes, I, I'm almost willing to to guess or to bet that uh, the, 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 those that find it provocative are of the vendor side of the equation that have been selling this uh, uh, old technology for ages. And here I need to tell you something that crossed my mind, and it has to do because both you and I have seen it uh, for for a while. I said already that I started my career in 1992, uh, and and I think it was very special here. First, we celebrated a few things. In uh, I, I started in advanced process control, and so we celebrated the the PLC uh, was celebrating 25 years old, and the DCS, its younger sibling, celebrated at that time 10 years old. So there were big celebrations, but also the world had big events. Uh, the, uh, the, the Soviet Union disintegrated. The new, the old Soviet, Soviet republics became independent. The World Wide Web in 1992 um, came online as a service on the internet. In in uh, Finland, uh, the the G2 uh, protocol for uh, GSM communication changed the world of mobile telephony. Big things happened, and then, from then until today, the world has changed. Literally, figuratively, the world has changed. It's not the same world. You know, uh, Russia made uh, close the full circle, you know, before being a democracy in the middle and uh, economic superpower and all the way back to the dark side now. Uh, look at what the World Wide Web and um, uh, mobile telephony did to the world. It changed it all together. Uh, look at technology. And I, when I started, I was involved in a cutting-edge project to implement neural network to uh, uh, advanced process control in a refinery, and it had 10 to 20 parameters, and it was cutting-edge. It was literally cutting edge. ChatGPT had 175 billion parameters today, as a result of which my kids stopped doing homework altogether. (laughs) So, I mean, the whole world changed, and one thing didn't change, and this is our celebrations. Today, we celebrate 55 years anniversary for the PLC, and we celebrate 30 years birthday for the DCS, and there are still the technologies that are being used. They are still the core of our critical infrastructures and manufacturing. And it's the same vendors that sold that a few years back. They still sell it today, and they still make the bulk of their balance sheet from this kind of legacy hardware. So, of course, they will try to squeeze the last cent of selling it, and of course, they will find my article provocative. I understand that. I even sympathize with it. But that's not enough. And, and if you look at the, the OPA forum I mentioned, all of them are members and active members. Rockwell and Siemens and GE, they're all active members. And, and, and uh, they all realize that at some point it's going to end and they want to be part of the new one. So I, I, I'm urging uh, um, everybody to go and read this article. Really, it's first of all, it's written in a very um, <laughs> easy way to understand. I'm blushing. <laughs> ah, it's okay, you can blush, but but it, really, it, it's a wonderful one, and I believe that even people that are not coming from the cyber can find that. themselves very easily yeah. over there. So we were talking about the past. We were talking about the future, which we can't <laughs> know exactly when it would happen. Where we are heading with all the idea of the OT security? 
Okay. Defense. First of all, with your permission, I think we need to time frame this question because it's very easy to put long-term predictions and it's even nice. Uh, but it's not really practical for us, the practitioners. So I suggest to put a, a five-year time frame and I'll yeah, of course. happily answer because in the industry, in the process industry, trying to predict more than five years uh, reliably doesn't make sense. So if I look at the coming five years, um, first thing that uh, will not change is the threat landscape. I talked a lot about the current transformation, which I call uh, um, uh, industrial strength ransomware. The hackers, the cyber criminals discovered our vulnerability, uh, discovered the, the, the sheer complexity we build around uh, our OT systems, which I said, and I'm saying again for them, is godsend and they are going to leverage it. So I see that only continuing and intensifying. So the threat landscape will not change. Other thing which I believe started and will not change, a trend you can call it, is folding OT security up into the CISO organization uh, and, and get away with uh, the, the islands of, uh, of uh, accountability where the responsibility for OT is with uh, operations and with maintenance. Yeah. Uh, I, I should say that uh, the large multinational companies are already far done with this process. You see that now uh, getting to the second tier and in the coming five years, I see that also being implemented in second tier, which is large and mid-sized companies. So that, um, both, both of those will, will stay the same. Uh, the one thing that uh, will definitely not change is the risk awareness, averseness of the process industry. I, 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 you know, I've been there all my life. I think that this is uh, part of our modus operandi. We can't, we are risk averse. And so this will stay for the coming years. But there is another thing about the industrial enterprise. Risk averse as we are, we love others to take the risk. And so that's what we do. If there is a trailblazer that is willing to take the risk and start, try out an experiment with new innovation, we'll cheer this guy, this company, stand on the sideline, see what's happening, study it, and the moment it's successful, we'll move en masse into the play. And so if you ask me what's going to happen in those five years, it's exactly that. We'll see more trailblazers joining ExxonMobil in trying to implement new architectures for the ICS and OT. I mentioned OPAF. There is another one called Namur. The two are now being integrated. Uh, and we'll see more and more of those trailblazers. And then will come the first movers. And uh, if you in, in five years' time, I will see a lot of those uh, first movers uh, copying and, and implementing. And uh, OT security will then change, at least for those working with those first movers. And this is also my objectives. Uh, we uh, introduced a new line of uh, a new service offering Insignia a while ago, which is aimed at uh, offering our client to following them with the implementation and development of their strategies and in the transformation, um, uh, their transformation in, in, into the new uh, brave new world. And I want to be there for them. So I think we are, I don't know, to the best of my knowledge, we are perhaps the, the only uh, premium uh, consulting company that went that way. And I'm very proud of that. So this is the, the world in five years' time, in my view. I want to take you for a couple of minutes to, to something else because I would like to get your view about it. Today we are talking about a lot of propriety. Okay, SCADA propriety protocols, 
PLCs which are propriety with their uh, framework and everything. On the other hand, we know that computing is coming into everything. So if I'm looking as an IT guy on the old days, okay, so you had the Unix, you had those propriety mm -hmm. that was... Well, not Unix, but I know what you mean. Yeah, but it was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until it got to <laughs> the Linux and... Uh, Microsoft, and maybe Android, of course. Okay. Do you see it happened happening in in the PLC uh, environment? Well, uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's like uh, in volleyball. You 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 give me for a spike, uh, right? I mean, uh, partly what I'm discussing about uh, the new uh, protocols uh, or the new uh, standards. Uh, like OPAS, is exactly that. What they have at the lower end, uh, it's called DCN, Distributed Control uh, control Node, and this DCN is an edge computer, and it's not anybody's edge computer. You, you program, uh, it can do control logic, it can do entire control loops, but it can also implement security and can also implement uh, 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 protocols and whatever needed, and that's exactly what you, what you want. Uh, however, um, yes, I see that happening outside of those new um, uh, architectures altogether, uh, if only because that's the way the world works. And so uh, currently there is a lot of uh, uh, power held by uh, uh, the, the, the instrumentation and uh, process control vendors, and it goes very far. Uh, you surely know that uh, if I now want to do something that uh, touches on, on, on that layer, I would risk uh, invalidating my, my warranty. Yeah, of course. And, and the vendors would say, you don't touch that, that's mine. Um, um, I can give you these kind of services, which I'm sure they can, uh, but it's going to cost you. And, and there is a lot of resistance in the industry to this kind of position. Like if you are big, if you are if you are BP or Shell or, or Exxon, then you can find your own way with your vendors. If you are uh, small manufacturers, you won't. Uh, but slowly, slowly, those small uh, get the power, and that power of the market will uh, eventually get them to change. And we are not different. We are not different than other parts of uh, uh, of the economy where you see convergence that are led by pressure from the market. And so, definitely, you see that on on some standards, you already see standardization. Um, uh, happening. And yeah, of it, course. It will intensify and you will see two, two processes. The, the one that those that really look far ahead into new architectures and those that are forcing into some uh, more workable uh, standard. I'm telling to my customer all the time. I'm saying, yeah. look, you have your golden minute with the vendors <laughs> one second before you sign the contract. <laughs> this is the only place that you can come and yeah. say, these are my terms. Which is probably true when you, you change. Uh, yeah, levels, but, but a minute later, <laughs> that's it. You're yeah, so, out of the game. So I said, we, we complain a lot. They do also very, yeah. a lot of good things, of course. Um, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, Arfi, we came almost to the end. As I told you, it would fly. The time would fly. <laughs> it did. <laughs> and um, as always, I would like to finish with um, the question of 
What would you like the audience to take from this interview? And remember that we are talking not only for the cyber pros, we are talking also for managers, people that are not so aware of the cyber himself. Okay. I want them to take away one thing. One thing, and I mentioned that before, and I'm saying it again, break the walls. Break the walls between IT and OT. Now, whether you are an OT security professional, SSO, an executive in industrial enterprise, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your employer to cyber secure your enterprise holistically across the digital estate, IT and OT as one. That, that, that really you owe to yourself to do. Air gap, uh, OT is a myth. It's always been a myth, but now it's a myth, it's a known myth. And yeah, it's yeah. also known by your potential attackers. IT, OT convergence is a slogan of the past. It has de facto converged and a while ago. If you don't see that, you are putting yourself and your enterprise at risk. And so, as I said, the, the only way to protect, to cybersecure the industrial enterprise against the current threat landscape is by looking at it holistically across the digital state, IT, OT, and OT, and therefore break the walls. Break the walls in your, the ways you do things, in your organizations, in your functions you define, and in the people you, uh, uh, you, you hire to help you do that. Now, if we manage to deliver this one message, Nachshon, then I think we did something very good. And, and, and I really think that we helped, uh, we helped having a better and more secure world. I, I don't kid you. I'm serious. No, no. This is very serious. I, I totally agree with you. Rafi, thank you very, very much for your time. It was totally a pleasure, Yeah, it, it was a pure pleasure, really. <laughs> we could continue like that for another hour easily. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> We would find it on the next time that you are going to have another article. <laughs> That's a deal. Okay. Thank you very much. Pleasure.